0: Well, welcome, y'all, to episode 15 of the Fundamental Life podcast. We are excited to be here today. Hope you enjoyed last week's episode with uh, Big Marcus Wing. See a need, fill a need. We uh, finally have MCA. Matthew Christian Arnold back on the mic today after his short absence. How you doing? Good, really good. In fact, it's. Uh, I thought it was fitting that it was find a
1: need or uh, yeah, fill a need, see a need, fill a need, need fill a need, and because we had a need and we needed someone else on the mic. Yes, because I was like deuces. I had to. I had to bounce out real uh, right quick, and so Marcus saw a need. He filled the need, yeah, so I, I give in. it up to him.
0: He stepped in, filled that need. He's got a, he's rocking a sweet mustache today. Um, I just cut my beard. You have a long beard; you've been growing for a little while. Do you, do you ever think about shaving it? Just when I eat tacos.
1: Why is that? Because when you eat a taco, you tend to tilt your head to the left or the right, you know, so you can get that taco in there. And my mustache, like, has... Moustache, get yeah, it right. It gets, it gets fairly long. And so when I tilt my head, it falls into my mouth. Mm. And then I'm chewing on my musta- mustachio hair um, while I'm eating a taco. So I can see how that would be a problem. So I had to give up tacos. So now when my wife has taco night, um, I do taco salad. I break it up and put it in a bowl and eat it with a fork.
0: Yeah, as you should. Yeah yeah so, i saw I, a problem fixed a problem yeah <laughs> there you go i shaved mine i woke up i just like i was saying before we got on the mic and uh i just had bed beard for those who have had facial hair you know what i'm talking about and you wake up and it's like stuck to the side of your head the wrong direction and you look in the mirror and you're like what in the hell am i doing usually you just shower it out but i just grab the clippers and cut her down there so, you go it's uh i can't say that I. That I don't miss it though, you know. It's been chilly out, and it does keep my my little baby face warm.
1: Yeah, but let's be honest. You
0: can grow it back in like seriously like
1: forty five minutes. Yeah, but it's
0: like four colors. I got gray, brown, blonde. I got some, like it's it's yeah. It's not. Uh, I don't look great with the beard, but whatever. Like, just for men, baby. Just for men. That's right. That's right. So I'm. Uh, we talked about. Uh, what we're going to address today i'm i'm excited to hear a couple of these uh stories that we're going to share oh yeah so as we get into this and talk about some of our experiences in lending for the last 20 years um i I'll, i think everybody'll find these uh interesting and uh and enjoy them so i want to me let me hit you first so simple question and you probably don't even have to think about it what is the craziest, most insane loan that you've ever done or worked on? Like in the last 20, 23, 23 years we've been doing this. Mm-hmm. Almost 24. We've seen some stuff, dude. Yeah, we have. We've seen some interesting stuff, but what is the, uh, what's the craziest kind of file or transaction that you've been a part of? And maybe, maybe you've got several, but to share one of those with us, if you can. Um, so, give us some backstory, some context too. okay so I
1: get i I have multiple referral sources, you know, CPAs, um, financial planners, different people like that that you know when they when they look at people's books, they are like, "Oh yeah, call Matt, you need to lower your rate or you, he'll get you taken care of." And um I do a lot of work with uh, a guy named John Eng. You know, he does all my finances. Has for years. I Trust him. He's just a great dude. Financial planner. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He he financially plans my life. You know. Not not he, that he, he like, fills your needs. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I I told him I'm like here's here's the deal. My goal is to make money, or, <laughs> and you need to make that happen while I try to lose it. So it's like <laughs> whoever wins, you know, that's and that's where he's good at. It's like my my family physician. I told him I'm. I, I'm going to try not to die, but you got to keep me alive and I'm going to try to kill myself. Okay. So nice balance there. You're pulling against each other. Exactly. So anyway, John, he called me up and he's like, Hey man, I got this client. They just applied for some life insurance and they would like, um, to look at their mortgage because I think they can save some money. And I was like, cool, no worries, man. So I called him up, took an application over the phone and set up a time for them to come into the office. They wanted to sit down with me. So they came in, um, and the only time they could meet was Friday night, Friday afternoon at 4.30.
0: Now, this was, geez, like 10 years ago. Yeah, we didn't. I know know what story you're going to tell now. We didn't work Friday afternoons. Never. Friday afternoons, we're like. We're like (laughs) dentists. We ain't working on Friday afternoon. Come on.
1: Man, 1 o'clock is like.
0: Yeah, deuces.
1: (laughs) And so I sat here at the office all by myself for like three hours just waiting for these people to show up, and they did. And when they showed up, we sat down, and I went through the whole application, and one of the very first things they asked me is they said, hey, we're not going to do this life insurance policy, so can we still do a refinance? And I was like, yeah, yeah, no worries. Um, And so we went through everything. They signed all their disclosures. They gave me all their documents and uh they were here till about 5:30 and uh I remember that night very very vividly because two of our employees showed back up the office before they, I was done with the appointment and they were just hammered drunk and like stumbling around like being loud and boisterous and I'm trying to do this appointment I'm like hey bro keep it down you know <laughs> so um anyway they left real nice couple and
0: Pretty young. Weren't well, they fairly young? Yeah,
1: they were in their, like, mid-20s. Yeah, And, like, when I sat there with them, I, I consciously thought, you know, I was surprised that they were, had been married so long because they were very, had a lot of uh public display of affection, you know, PDA. Like, she was all tickling his neck and stuff while I was in the appointment. Newlywed stuff. Yeah, and I was like, that's kind of weird. You know, you guys been together, like, four years. Like, yeah. knock it off, man. I'm a loan officer, you know? <laughs> And a registered minister, but (laughs) that's another story. (laughs) But they, uh, so they sat there and like, and I thought, you know, he was a computer programmer and if you know, computer guys, they're kind of quirky and she was just real friendly, outgoing, personable. And I thought to myself, you know, wow, you really did good for yourself, man. Like, you know, um, kind of married up a little bit, so to speak. And, uh, so anyway, they left and I submitted their loan on Monday And on Tuesday morning, I get a phone call and my secretary buzzed up and she's like, hey, so-and-so is on the phone. And so I was like, all right. So I picked it up and I was like, this is Matt. And he said, and I said, hey, how you doing? And he's all not well. So I immediately thought that he had gotten, because they used to send out pre-disclosures after we submitted a loan and they were always wrong and they always looked bad. So that's why I thought he was calling. I was like, oh, what's going on? He's like, she's gone. And I'm like, who's gone? And he told me his wife that she had she had died that weekend. And I was like, oh, my gosh. And he's like, yeah, I uh, I didn't think about it, but my sister told me that I should probably give you a call and let you know. And he said, you're going to, you know. I," And so I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry. And like, you know. I appreciate you letting me know. And anyway, so I put a hold on everything and like, you know, looked up the obituary and like, I, anyway, I thought about going to the funeral. I didn't because of some, you know, time commitments and things like that. But uh, anyway, I just felt terrible. So about um, 45 days later, he calls me and he he's all, listen, man, this was the last thing that we did together. Um, so... I want to, I want to do, I want to see if I can still refinance. And I was like, done, you know, let me, let me take care of you. So I like cleared my desk and this was like my focus. Like I'm going to take care of this guy. And, uh, anyway, like he told me, he's like, sometimes it's going to be hard to uh, get a hold of me. So here's a different phone number. So I gave me a different phone number and I was like, "Hmm, whatever, went through the process, closed his loan and, uh, Come to find out, his wife had actually died on on Friday night. Oh, my gosh. So, it was, like... Shortly after you met with him. Yeah, like, within 10 hours. Um, And so, anyway, I closed his loan, and I could tell, you know, just in talking to him and being around him, like, I never saw him again, but, like, just talking to him on the phone, that uh, he, like... I don't know. Like I said, he's quirky. So he wasn't like, you know, the most popular guy, so to speak. So I was like, hey, man, you know, when I closed his loan, I was like, if you ever want to go, you know, grab a drink or, you know, grab a bite or whatever, just hit me up, man. We can, I'll meet you somewhere and we can sit sit down and hang out. So he's like, man, I really, I'd really like that, you know, and, you know, I'll hit you back. So we closed his loan and a week later he called me up and he's like, hey, man, you want to get together for dinner? And I was like, you bet. So I met him out in Draper at Goodwood because he lived in Utah County, and so it was kind of on my way. So I stopped off and uh, uh, you know had dinner with him, and he told me what happened. And basically, long story short, uh, his wife was shot, and whether it was uh, like you know the way the way he presented it, it was an accidental shooting. And, you know, and I'm not here to say it was or it wasn't, you know, but that's uh, what happened. And so I was like, holy crap. And he told me the whole story about how the police like railroaded him, took him into the the precinct, kept him there for like 20 hours on Saturday. Um, And the reason why he kept having to change his phone is because he, um, they kept seizing it. And so they seized his home computer, his telephones, his work computers, everything, man. And I was like, oh my gosh, I felt so bad for this dude. Anyway, um, so I, uh, anyway, fast forward to um, Christmas, he sent me a card and a Spider-Man mug. And that's one of the things that I keep in my office is um, this Spider-Man mug that he gave me, you know, just as a you know a reminder and a memento not only uh and I'll get to the reason why but it still sits in there anyway uh fast forward further and they ended up charging him with uh murder one you know murder for gain and they brought up the life insurance policies they brought up all this stuff and uh convicted him and he got uh, I want to say it was 25 to life dang yeah and then, um, and I, it, like, anyway, I thought it was always interesting that nobody ever wanted to talk to me because it was like, I was one of the last people to see him together. Um, so then you fast forward, I want to say it was like three or five years later. It was 2016. Yeah. Um, his, uh, appellant attorney called me and asked me some questions and so I talked to him for quite some time and followed up with him and gave him a bunch of documentation and different things like that. Anyway, uh, they ended up going through and overturning the conviction and releasing him. And so he's uh, he's now a free man and rightfully so was tried. And, you know, they, they found that uh, there was a lot of... Uh, mistakes in the investigation and so on and such forth and so anyway it's one of those things that mug stays in my office to remind me number one you never judge anybody until you get a whole story you never like uh, you know always trust like what the media says or anything like that so it's uh, just one of those little reminders that I keep in there to when I look at it it makes me think of him and uh, and really just I have good feelings towards him because he was always really nice to me and, you know, honest and upfront and different things. And I think he kind of got, uh, I really do believe he got railroaded. And uh, anyway, so, yeah. Dude,
0: that story is banana. I've heard it probably, I've heard it a handful of times. It's been 10 years. Was this in 2010? Uh, yeah. Uh-huh. Or 11-ish? Oh, uh, let's
1: see. So, yeah, 2011 is when it happened.
0: That story is bananas, dude. Yeah, (laughs) that story is crazy. One thing uh, about that story that I that I found interesting from my perspective is you you just said something you know about the media, Mm -hmm. and you know you and I are business partners, and we obviously talked about um, this situation and this individual um, between the two of us, and we would we would see and hear kind of how things were reported uh, in the media and motives and different things like that, whereas. You know, we, we do a pretty deep dive into financials and, you know, obviously you spent time with this uh, individual and it was interesting to see the contrast and some of the half-truths and, and some of the uh, things that just, you know, how he was portrayed that wasn't accurate. You oh. know what I mean? And so you can, you come to that snap judgment. So when you talk about the mug, um, yeah, you need the full story. Oh, Yeah. Before and that was he, before you can assess, not really judge, but assess like, eh, you know. Oh, yeah. And that was the one thing in the media. They really
1: painted it uh, that he needed the money, that he was broke. Yeah. Right? Like he was doing it for gain. And it's like, nah. Yeah. And they kept saying that he had bad credit and all these different things. I was like, no, he didn't. His wife did. <laughs> That's the funny thing. It was it was he was stellar, man. Yeah.
0: So stories. That story's crazy.
1: So, let me flip that back to you, man, because like really honestly, we've had some bizarre we've had some bizarre experiences, you know um and we've seen like you said, a lot of things come across our desk so what's
0: the what would you say is the craziest loan you ever worked on? Oh, you know, I was thinking about this, and when we talk about loans, it's either you know when when we when we sit down and we get you know all the personal info, bank accounts, incomes um, the house we're lending on and just all that info, like you can either do it or you can't. And so when we, when we talk about loans, it's like, meh. there's a lot of crazy things out there, but, uh, situations, right? Like, like things that happen, like what happened to you. So in 2008, well, let me even backtrack. So I moved into my home that I built and that I currently live in, in October of 2005, October, November of 2005. And at the time, there was, uh, it's kind of an interesting story, there was an old polygamist home that sits where my subdivision is, had a birthing room in it, and like it was a big old massive crib with tons of bedrooms. And anyway they bulldozed the home and uh development associates DAI here in Utah uh developed a subdivision that I mean I think there's 17 or 18 homes. So all these homes are going up at once like bam 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 like all these you know cribs are going in all at once it's just contractor heaven up there right. Well one home up the street from me um and I'm telling this story cuz it dives into to my other one. But I'm I'm asleep it's like I want to say I'd been in my house probably it was springtime, so maybe six months. And so, yeah, probably six months. And um, my my doorbell rings. It's like, it's midnight or 1145, right? And I wake up and I see these lights coming through the upper window in my room that didn't have blinds. And I'm like, what the hell? So I get up, answer the door, and um, it's my neighbor. And I see out in the street, there's just like, water just and and I see like the image of you know all these lights obviously it was the the fire engines and police well the home up the street for me was engulfed in flames like I'm talking I mean a, a massive home that was near completion and was just engulfed in flames and I'm talking like 100 foot flames dude like it scarred the house next to it so bad that they had to come in and repair it the water that was running down the street was from all the fire hoses trying to put this house out. Right. So, um, anyway, this house burnt down, won't get into the motive behind that one, but fast. So this was, this was spring of 2006. Well, for those, um, who are, I mean, hell, how old do you have to be now to remember or been exposed to the house during the housing crisis? But in 2007, um as a company we did a ton of uh, build jobs like that was kind of our bread and butter was construction loans and we'd come and do the long term and there was building going on like crazy kind of like right now actually mm-hmm. like very similar to right now like people have that FOMO fear missing out and they would uh they were just building as fast as they could whether they could afford it or not it was just like a frenzy and so in 2007 super busy 2008 rolled around and, um, everything kind of came to a screeching halt started in two, late 2007, a little bit, but 2008, it was like, you know, Skirt. <laughs> like everything just like stopped. Well, at the time, um, we had a lot of clients that were building homes, uh, big homes, you know, six, $700,000 homes, $800,000 homes.
1: Sometimes multiple.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. They'd be building a spec house plus a house that they were going to move into, and they already lived in a three-quarter of a million-dollar home. And so just – and we're talking people that uh, uh, probably didn't have business doing that. They could qualify, but uh, probably didn't have business doing that. Well, when you have a home under construction and you see the market turn, it's like <laughs> – hits the brakes. You have no choice but to complete that home. It's not like you can say – Hey, you know we're at four way, uh, but the market's turned, so we're just we're not going to finish this house. You're married to it. It's like you're pregnant. Like you have to see it through, right? And so some of these people were, you know, months away from completion, somewhere near completion. Um, well, one particular client of mine, um, who I had done a previous loan for, uh, had a home that was near completion. And the market was going down. And what would happen is when we would come in to do the permanent financing and go to get an appraisal on these homes, oftentimes because the market had stopped and values were starting to decline because people were unloading their homes for whatever they could get out of them, right? Well, this particular uh, individual, um, I got his, his permanent financing done. It was a nightmare. Like the home, it barely appraised as I recall, he was even short to pay off his construction loan and had to juggle some things just so I could get it over the finish line. And it was almost like a race at that time. Like we got to get this thing done now, man, the market is, is going down. And so getting that permanent financing in, we were putting in long days. You remember Mm -hmm. super long days. Well, we closed on this home. Um, I remember because there was a lender by the name of Taylor bean and Whitaker. And I mean, these were back when we were doing a lot of business with countrywide home loans and Taylor bean and Whitaker was a, uh, a, a, a really good lender at the time since went out of business, August of 2008, RIP, <laughs> August 3rd, <of> 2008 <laughs> to be exact. Well, anyway, we closed the loan. Um, just like any other loan, like pfft, close fund, record done. Well, I want to say it was 48 hours, maybe slightly less, from when we closed um, the house burned down. And uh, he was not moved in, didn't live in it. And uh, there was a lot of suspicion about how said house burned down. Um, I think it was the final resolve was that Uh, he was broke. No, I mean, (laughs) (laughs) the final resolve was it was a gas leak um, from, uh, I want to say like the stove that was put in or something like that. But interestingly, a lot of homes burnt down in 2008, shortly after construction was completed, even some that were in construction, uh, probably more so in 2008 than the last 12 years combined. And so you kind of scratch your head and you're like, hmm, uh, and I re if I remember, I don't have a great memory. So this story is going to be butchered a little bit. There was something with the insurance that we put in place and I can't remember what it was, but, uh, there was something, uh, interesting or unique or, or a question about the insurance. Um, they, like they wanted to make sure that it was insured mm-hmm. <laughs> at closing. And so just some interesting circumstances and, um, uh, I won't share what happened kind of, uh, after that, but we did bump into, uh, when we, when we finished our building here and, you know, made mention with the, with the fire marshal. You remember this? Oh yeah. And, uh, that, that, that particular one was still, uh, under investigation is how they put it. So crazy. But you know, you know, like if someone burns their home down, um, I think it's, I think it's pretty tough. I think it's pretty tough for him to prove. I don't know. I'm not a fire investigator. I'm just, yeah. I'm guessing.
1: Well, and that's now, now you're giving everybody an idea. But <laughs> <laughs> why? Because we're, because there's a building frenzy right now. <laughs> yeah. Right. So if you own a uh, class A commercial, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm, I'm joking because a uh, class A commercial just burnt down up the street from us here. It did? Yeah. I didn't see that. Which? One? The one right next to Wendy's. Um, Oh, you told me about it. Yeah. yeah, That's right. That thing is like smoked, man. I couldn't believe it. So happened on a Sunday afternoon.
0: That's crazy. Yeah. So,
1: you know, thinking about mortgage and like, that's the reason why, you know, this got brought up is, uh, people ask me sometimes the craziest stuff that happens in mortgage. And that's why, you know, picking out a couple different stories. Um, one thing, uh, I would like to mention that, That people don't necessarily understand or appreciate about what we do is I'll tell a lot of clients, listen, let me stress for you. Yeah. And we've talked about this. I'm going to, you guys go pick out new curtains or bath mats or whatever. I'm going to, I'm going to handle the stress. Well, it, it brings me to something that just happened Because back, you talk about it in 2008, working long hours and trying to, like, drill it because we had to get these closed before lenders either, A, went out of business or, B, decided they weren't going to do the loans anymore. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I mean, we had no no rhyme or reason on that type of stuff. uh, Who was it? It was Pacific. Like, they, they allowed loans to close, and then they just didn't fund them. They're like, oh, yeah. yeah, we're not going to fund these, and we're like, What? What? Pit Pacific Union? Pit? No, anyway, um, I want to say Pacific Rim, but that's my kid's favorite movie, yeah. so <laughs> anyway. But uh, when the pandemic hit, mm. um, <clears throat> I had a loan for somebody that was building a big house, and it had gone, this house had been under construction for quite some time, and I was done. Like, the loan was done. We thought that we were going to be able to have it wrapped up. It was like, okay, it's going to be wrapped up by Christmas, and then it was going to be February, and then it was going to be April. And so, like, I had to keep updating some of the conditions, but for the most part, like, I was done. I was only waiting on the appraisal, and I couldn't get an appraiser to go out on this uh, house until it was
0: um, completed. Custom home. They kept changing stuff and adding stuff and tweaking and...
1: Yeah. And it, it was incredible house and definitely worth the wait. I'll tell you, but in, and this is where it's like the stress level that sometimes we in t- take on is pretty massive. So, um, I had a priced out and it was priced out amazing, you know, in, uh, end of February, it was like, I want to say it was like three and a half percent on a jumbo loan. And it was uh, covering all of his closing costs, everything. It was like a free loan. And, um, well, March 17th hit. And then everything went to hell in a hand. Rudy,
0: damn Rudy Gobert. Dude,
1: shut it down. Best defense player ever, dude. Shut down the entire NBA. Rudy Gobert, bro. Oh, man. That sucker. Yeah. I'm sitting here touching the microphone right
0: now in his
1: honor. But... uh, (laughs) um. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs>
0: <laughs> that was so funny no, like he just was touching everything I don't have co- no, I'm no, not scared positive. shut the damn NBA down Rudy anyway
1: so um, I came in and somebody walked in my office and they're like hey have you have you looked at jumbo pricing and I was like no why I'm like it's not that bad it was like dude I checked it like yesterday and so I pulled it up and now all of a sudden three and a half wasn't paying anything it was costing. And over the course of the next three weeks, I watched it go from giving a credit to costing till it came to the point where it was a 10 point cost to buy down to three and a half percent. So to give you an idea on a million dollar loan, that's a hundred thousand dollars that you would have to pay just to get a mortgage. Yeah. And I was like, i'm gonna do (laughs) you know and so like and then come the first of april they just took jumbo completely off the table and so then they took home equity lines off the table so then you couldn't match match them up you couldn't like couple it with anything anyway so the home ended up getting finished um i want to say it was about six months later five six months later and luckily, and thank goodness that it took that extra time to finish out because by the time it got done, they had brought back home equity lines and I was able to put a home equity line, stack it with a first and be able to pay off his uh, construction loan up to $1.1 the The craziest part about that as well is when the, <laughs> when the home equity lines came back, they bumped all of the um, uh, FICO requirements And he was short on his credit score. So then we had to do like, you know, (laughs) credit uh, bureau updates and different things like that to get his credit score up. And then when the home equity line company pulled it, one of the bureaus had dropped significantly for no reason, no rhyme or reason. So then we had to fix that. And so like I did not know if he was going to have a loan until about a week and a half before we closed and it
0: was like there was just sheer terror like for you know weeks yeah super uh stressful oh, and yeah. there was you know during that time uh I mean hell this was barely march of last year there there was that those those same like sensory feelings that, that we had in 2008 and fr- thankfully it didn't like last for extremely long right but um man it was like I've felt this feeling before and just (laughs) kind of crawl in your hole. And like, Oh shit. Not again. Oh (laughs) dude. Serious PTSD. Like hardcore, man. I'm like, Oh my God.
1: (laughs) What am I going to (laughs) do?
0: Yeah. It was crazy. So, um, what about, uh, if you had any crazy loans and maybe you don't, maybe nothing comes to mind, but any like really just, bananas uh loans that you've that you've worked on like files or anything can you any come to mind I was just thinking like and I don't know if you have any
1: um the only one that comes to mind is back in 2007 when everybody was uh you know rolling deep and stated income and anybody could get a loan and I had a kid come in that worked for Domino's Pizza and his old lady was a stripper and they wanted to buy themselves like a $400,000 home. And I told them, you know, I could get you finance, but I'm not going to. Because this is one of those things where it's like, yeah, you, you know, probably
0: shouldn't, shouldn't write this one. You yeah, know? it's it, the evolution of what is available. When I started in, did I start in 99? 99, 99? 99. 99. When I started in 99... Um, there was what's called a uh, 125, mm-hmm. and what a 125 was, and it, if, if anyone remembers this, shoot me an email because Dan Marino was one of the uh, spokesperson spokespeople for this program. And what a 125 and even a 150, what that allowed you to do is go to exactly what it says, 125 percent of the value of your home. And you kind of scratch your head, and you're like, well, why the hell would anyone do that? Well, First Plus Financial, Planners Bank, there were several banks that were jumping on that bandwagon because um, they wanted to lend money. Home values were going up. It was like a win-win, right? The money store. Yeah, the money store. People would move into their houses, um, do 100% financing. The day after they uh, closed, they would pull a 125 and access their equity. (laughs) And, you know, everybody said, oh, I'm doing home improvements. Bro, you just bought a new Malibu and you bought your wife a new Escalade. We know where the money's going. And it's interesting that, we, that those were available, you know, and they were popular. And um, that, that train kind of ran its course. And then we had uh, the NAGAM loans come into place where you could actually negatively amortize your loan. Makes and, total sense. Yeah, it makes total sense. I mean, you, you know you're never gonna pay off your house.
1: Why why try to pay it off? Just negam.
0: Just negam. It's, yeah. Let let the balance uh, grow. <laughs> we sat in a uh, do you remember uh we Steve and I sat in a in a meeting in like two thousand three or two thousand four and they were pushing neg-ams, pushing neg-ams, and the guy's like, If you're not doing negams, these pick a pays you will be out of business in less than a year. <laughs> and I looked over at Matt and I was like uh, well, shit, I guess we're going to be out of business. <laughs> 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 anyway, like, you know, it, it, just the evolution of all these different programs. Macquarie. Macquarie. Yeah. Yeah. That's who First was. Mortgage Helox. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was just crazy stuff. And then, you know, 2008, and then everything got super conservative. And now we're kind of, you know, I think lending is is pretty responsible. Mm-hmm. Um, I would argue that they even need to open it up for uh, – a lot of our self-employed borrowers that kind of get put through the ringer, particularly right now. Brutal. Yeah, it's just, oh, I feel bad. We have to We have to collect what we have to collect, but I always preface it with there's a lot of stuff I'm going to need, and you're probably going to hate me after I ask for all of it, but I need this to get your loan done. And most people are understanding, but um, self-employed people get, get put through the ringer right now. The thing that sucks with that just – uh, sidebar
1: is um, I closed. I have a client who's self-employed and he owns multiple investment properties. So I just closed a loan for him in January and they just changed the guidelines on self-employment and what they want February 1st. So now all of the previous documentation, he wants to refi two other investment properties. I had to go back to him and be like, look, bro, I'm really sorry. Everything you got me is now useless. I
0: need this, 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 and this. And it's just like, ugh. yeah, it's, it has been a wild ride for those self employed clients. Um, Anything else you want to touch on? I'm like, I mean, we've got a lot of stories, but some of them might be like, meh, people just like hit the stop button and move on to the next, you know, podcast. There's a, uh, I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of different. There are different things that are rolling through my head, but I just don't know how many of them are super interesting. Oh, man. um,
1: Well, maybe next time we talk about, like, when we
0: opened, got sued, and, like, that whole history. That would be funny. Yeah. So to to kind of wrap up, I don't know how long we've been on, but to wrap up. 40 minutes. Um, uh, I want to kind of – because we hit on the state of the state, what, two months ago? It's mm-hmm. been since we talked about uh, – of how many homes are on the market what sales are like uh, what areas of the country what areas of the state are growing but a lot of a lot of things have changed in the last 60 days um one of the things that we're seeing and as we record this it's uh what february 12th february 10th 9th 11th 11th we're close for yeah february 11th. so the, the the about the middle of february um one of the things that we're both seeing and everybody in our office and in the industry is seeing is there are absolutely no homes. There are no homes on the market to purchase. Like there's just a severe lack of inventory. Um, it's been probably 10 or 10 days or two weeks since I pulled these digits. But in my zip code, um, they're in Draper. There were, I want to say there were 32 or 34 homes under contract to be sold. So someone's buying them, Right and there were 10 or or 9, 9 or 10 listed for sale. And those numbers are insane, yeah. you know? And there's just there's no homes for people to to buy. Like a lot of people want to buy and they're going out and looking. There's just no inventory. Dude, I pulled up yesterday
1: cuz somebody came in and asked me asked me about a grant and I don't want to sound discouraging to people they want to buy a home and want to use a grant or whatever. But I told them, I was like, look, you're not going to get a home if you need a grant because nobody's going to take your offer. Right. And so I pulled up just, I was like, let's just pull it up. So in Salt Lake County right now, there were 14 homes listed yesterday under 330,000 in Salt Lake County. And that's, that's including condos, townhomes, everything. And So then I started pulling them up and it's the first time I've ever seen original list price. It was like original list price two eighty. Current list price two ninety-five. Highest and best offer due by Saturday night. We'll make a decision by Sunday. And it's like that's where it's like if you go in and you're like, hey, I got a grant, it's like, no, that's not gonna happen. Yeah. And so I don't know, there's there's a lot of like just
0: bizarro things going on out there i have a client that i pre-qualified and laugh it was uh three of 19 so it's been almost two years and they just you know didn't didn't have the money um and but anyway she circled back called me up i recognized her name because it was a unique name but this was on last friday and uh i said hey how you doing blah blah blah. we got kind of reacquainted and then you know updated all their information and they want to buy a house. They've saved money, and you know, here we are two years later. Well, prices have gone up significantly. They understand that because they've you know been online, they've been looking at FISBOs and things like that. But I spent probably ten minutes on the phone explaining to her, "Hey, if you're looking for a home that's 450, um, chances are um, there's going to be multiple offers on that home, and so you need to be prepared to offer more than the list price." And I said, but let me explain why. And I went on to say, because there's so many people and there's a shortage of homes, people are willing to pay more so that they can close on a new home. And then I said, and people are even willing to uh, pay above whatever it appraises for, and they're willing to put you know, $5,000 down up front that's non-refundable. And she just kind of laughed, and I'm like, it is kind of laughable, you know? Uh, but those, that's the reality. And she went and talked to her agent and I, I talked to her this Tuesday. So about three days after this initial conversation and, um, it had kind of the reality of, of it had hit her that everything I said was absolutely true and what she was going to need to be prepared to do. And it, it's for a first time home buyer, um, her and her husband are really uncomfortable with that. And, uh, and I understand why, you know, uh. I, I think that non-refundable earnest money up front is, is, is very risky, um, and it's it's almost to a point of being silly, and paying above and beyond appraised value is, I I don't know, it just is uncomfortable, I guess is the best way of putting it. But these are the realities of what we're seeing in, in February of 2021, and it's unique to my time uh, of two decades in, in this career. You oh, yeah. know, I don't think I've, I would have imagined that we would be uh, dealing with that essentially in the middle of a, a pandemic or a crisis oh man it, the the even the flip side of that is the
1: the amount of homes that are listed for a million plus yeah and like um two weeks ago there were 115 homes in salt lake county out of 480 that were listed for a million plus say that number again? Say that number again. There were 115 that were listed for a million plus out of 480 homes listed on the market. Wow. And then um, yesterday when I pulled it, when I was talking to these people about the grant, it was um, that that figure had gone down. Um, there's right now, I want to say there was 75 homes uh, listed above a million, but there were 100 that
0: were listed above 950. Wow. Wow. I'd like to, and a a substantial number that are under contract. Like if you look at it and you say, okay, there's 300 homes listed for sale in Salt Lake or the Wasatch Front or, you know, this area, 400, 300, 400. That means there's 1,200 under contract that are going to be closing like, like really quick. So when you look at that that price point and people are like, well, I'll just go build. What does a two by four cost? What does plywood cost? What can you get? drywall like what does concrete cost all the what does dirt cost if you want to buy a lot and sit on it and wait for maybe those prices to come down everything that goes into that structure and the land are just they're just more money man and like i've got to believe that the builders who sold homes nine months ago uh and they have to complete those homes now based on the price of their uh, goods and supplies now that's got to be stressful um and being over budget, you know, or even a guy who's building the custom home that had a cost breakdown 12 months ago when he pulled his permit and now it's coming around the final bend and he's like, how much is copper wire? You know, how much is this and that? And it's gotta be uh frustrating and a little unnerving. Um, this crazy time, crazy, crazy time.
1: Yeah. No, I, I had a custom home builder call me a couple of weeks ago. And that's what he told me is that, He's having trouble getting construction loans because the homes aren't appraising for the cost breakdown because, you know, home sales haven't caught up to how much it costs to build a house now.
0: It's, uh, so here we are, February, 2021, we'll see where things are in six months, 12 months, two years. I will say this. There are a hell of a lot of people moving to Utah. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't know how else to put it, man. I've been up in Wasatch County uh, a lot the last few weeks. Dude, there are, I would say every third plate is an out-of-state plate. And usually, what are you in the state for, like, a couple months before you switch your plates, three three months, four months? I don't know. Like, I've never moved to another state. But eventually, they got to get a Utah plate, right? So these are all people that have moved here in the last, you know, little bit. You, everyone's going to have their opinion on it. I'm just telling you what's happening uh, some like it, some hate it, some are okay with it, and you could be anywhere in that, uh, but there's a lot of out of state plates and that I guess for home prices is is maybe a good thing for uh for employers it's a good thing uh it's the complete opposite of like you know Detroit in two thousand nine where they went from a population of one point one to six hundred thousand in a matter of two years. Everyone was like, "We don't get the hell out of here." And then they replace it with, like, the mortgage capital of the world, (laughs) which is crazy, right? But uh, it's, yeah, it's just a weird, weird, weird time. We're going to look back on this in history. I think we'll we'll teach us some lessons. I don't know what the lessons will be, but interesting things going on.
1: Yeah, but, I mean, just a, I mean, I don't want to sound like a Debbie Downer. You know, there's still opportunity for people to go out and try to buy a house and get into a home and, you know, they... It's just, uh, it's just be prepared that yeah. your first offer is not going to be your only offer. Be smart. You're, yeah. You're probably going to have to, you know, really hit the bricks and really try and look really hard and be diligent. And I got a client right now. She's, she's made 15 offers and she's still out there drilling it.
0: So, yeah. well, and the, the last advice, if you are You know, if you're a a step-up buyer, meaning you've already been in one or two houses, like you kind of know the game. Like you know some agents, um, you know who's going to take care of you, and you know, which I am, so call me, right? (laughs) But as far as agents go, you already know who to deal with. But for the newbies, um, you know, use a a real estate agent, and now more than ever, uh, that agent, you need a good one. You need one who's going to look out for your best interests and really, really say, what would I do and treat you like, you know, it's his own child. Because there's a lot of education you simply just can't get. And so make sure you're, you're dealing with a reputable agent whom you trust because you need that as a buyer right now. For sure. So, um, should we wrap this bad boy up? Yeah, I think so. All right. We didn't give any movie, uh, Because I haven't seen any, dude. No no movie advice. I did watch one. We'll wrap up with this. Um, It was called, it was Justin Timberlake, and it was on Netflix. It was Palmer. Palmer is what it's called. You seen it? Mm -hmm. Either one of you seen the ads? All right. Mm -hmm. So um, it was good. It was good. It was a little uh, sombering, but uh, you should watch Palmer. It's good. Because I like JT. You know, was he New Kids on the Block? Yeah. Who would have thunk it? that I'd be watching. He kids? No, he was in sync and sync and sync Justin Timberlake and uh, sync. Yeah. I'm a big NSYNC sync fan. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I appreciate everyone listening. We appreciate everyone. listening. Marcus, thanks for hosting this for us every week and taking such good care of us. Um, if you haven't listened to uh Marcus's podcast, go listen to that, but more importantly, you should rate ours. So click below. And uh, rate, subscribe, and share this. I'm amazed uh, every week uh, people hit me up, shoot me a text or an Instagram message or whatever. And it's, it's cool to see that uh, people are listening and enjoying it. So um, please subscribe, share, and uh, we will catch you on the next episode of the Fundamental Life Podcast.
1: Bye.